Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. Good morning. This is your wake-up call. Wake-up call 043 Open Doors. Wake Up Call 043 Open Doors. This is the Faith for My Generation podcast, and I am your host, AJ. I'm excited to be with you. Having you listen to this podcast episode really does make me really, really grateful knowing that you're listening, and I pray that you're taking away something from it. I know that you will because we're going to go straight to the Word of God. As I mentioned, the title of this Wake Up Call is Open Doors. I got the inspiration for this wake-up call earlier this week. Uh, I was just praying and, and kind of had something coming to my heart, my mind. And, you know, there's this idea, I guess, maybe, that uh, if, if the Lord would will you to do something, if the Lord has called you to do something, if the Lord has given you an open door that everything's just hunky-dory, uh, everything's smooth sailing, you know, obviously if it's the will of God, it'll just all kind of click and, and move forward without any type of resistance or opposition. But actually the truth is, when you're in the will of God, you're actually going to experience opposition. Oh man, wow, we're starting off with a really encouraging note, aren't we? <laughs> Seriously, think about this. You are a mighty warrior of God Almighty because it's not your strength that you war with, but His strength. And when God gives you an open door, it does not mean there will be no resistance. In fact, and I made a social media post about this, and this is what inspired today's wake-up call. In fact, oftentimes, opposition, resistance, pushback is, an, is a sign of an open door, not a closed one. Opposition is a sign of an open door, not a closed door. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9 is where I want to go to and start this wake-up call. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. Paul, he's finishing out this letter to the church in Corinth. And he makes this point, actually, we'll start at verse 8. He says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. He's writing the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, this letter to the church of Corinth. He's writing it in a place called Ephesus. Uh, just side note, if you've not subscribed to the YouTube channel, the personal YouTube channel, make sure you do that. You can just search uh, The AJ Bible on YouTube, and you should be able to find it. I'm uploading streams from the TikTok stream, and we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. And just side note, maybe you'll enjoy those replays. But Paul's making this point in verse 8, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus until Pentecost. Pentecost, of course, is a Jewish holiday. The word Pentecost means 50. We understand, and when we hear the word Pentecost, we think of Acts chapter 2. On that day where the pro words of the prophet Joel were fulfilled, and that the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh, baptizing people in the power of the Holy Spirit, that upper room experience. But Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. 
And he's saying, I'm going to stay in Ephesus until this day, this day on the calendar, Pentecost. Why is Paul staying in Ephesus? Verse 9, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. A great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul's telling the church in Corinth, I'm going to come see you. I I desire to come see you and be there in person. I've I've written this, we talked about this uh, in the wake-up call concerning godly sorrow. If you haven't listened to that one, after this one, scroll through the list of the podcast episodes, and it's the one that says godly sorrow. I believe that's the name of it, is just godly sorrow. And we talked about how godly sorrow produces repentance. This entire letter to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, is filled with correction and rebuke. And Paul's actually says, you know, a couple of times, I, I wish I was there in person to say these things because they're very straightforward and I even feel a little harsh, but you need to hear them so that you will be corrected because correction is beneficial. And he's making this point, I want to come see you, but I'm going to stay here in Ephesus at least, at least until Pentecost. And the reason is, The Lord has given him a great and effective door. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. See, maybe maybe your thinking is, and and we want to renew our mind uh, to the truth of God's Word, maybe your thinking is, well, if God opens a door, there shouldn't be any adversaries. But that's just not how we fight the fight of faith. You and I are to fight the good fight of faith, which implies there is a fight. You can't fight a good fight of faith unless there is a fight. Now, the victory is sure. When we fight the good fight of faith, we're fighting from a place of victory that has been purchased by the blood of Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, that same book, just one chapter before it, just I mean, just a handful of verses before what we just read. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Give God thanks because we have been given the victory through Christ Jesus. But notice what it says here in the, the verse immediately following it, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So 57, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, a powerful promise tells us that we have been given the victory of God through Christ Jesus. And because we are victorious in Christ, we then will be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding, knowing that whatever we do for the Lord is not in vain. 58, verse 58, is to encourage us in the fact that because we have the victory, we're to push forward, we're to keep fighting, we're to go forward, persevere in faith. Why would we need to persevere? Why would we need to fight? Because when God gives you an open door, a great and effective door, sometimes there's also adversaries. 
Think about this. When the Old Testament, when the uh, Israelites were coming to the Promised Land, you go to the book of Numbers, when they first get there and go survey the Promised Land, those 12 spies are sent out and they come back. Ten of the spies bring back an evil report. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, bring back a good report. The evil report and the good report are exactly the same in that they both admit there are giants, there are walls, and the promised land is as good as God says it is. Where the evil report and the good report differ, the evil report, the ten spies say, we cannot take the promised land. The good report, the righteous report of Joshua and Caleb differs by saying, let's go right now. If God says we can have it, it's ours. And that's the fight of faith. It's knowing that you have the victory, that the promised land is yours, that God has given you the promised land, but there may be some giants in the land. Now, in this particular instance, Paul making this point, he's saying, I have a great and effective door here in Ephesus and many adversaries. If you go to the book of Acts, Acts 19, this entire chapter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19, is Paul's, one of Paul's missionary journeys here to Ephesus. In Acts 19, we see a couple things that take place. We see that Paul, first when Paul shows up to Ephesus, verse 1, and it happened, this is Acts 19, verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Verse 4, Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Verse 7, now, the men were about 12 in all. When Paul gets to Ephesus, there's 12 Christians there. And really, technically, uh, you, they're not even Christians. They're hoping and desiring for salvation. They've been baptized in water unto repentance as a sign of faith, looking forward to the Christ Jesus, but they've yet to hear the gospel. They don't even know about this. They just know that this holy prophet of God his message came to them, maybe by way of disciples probably, and they were pricked in their hearts, convicted, and they baptized in water to repentance. They knew they'd done wrong, and they wanted to be cleansed of their wrong. So then they hear the gospel message, they're saved, and then Paul lays hands on them, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking with tongues and prophesying. But the point I'm making here is this, there were only 12 in this church of Ephesus. The Ephesian church becomes one of the most flourishing 
strong churches we see in the New Testament church in the book of the in the New Testament part, portion of our Bible. In fact, the church of Ephesus, we know more about it through the book of Acts, the book of Ephesians, and the book of Revelation than we do any other New Testament church. It's mentioned more than any other church. But it started with a dozen guys. You know, the Bible tells us, despise not the day of small beginnings, because it's our human nature. It's human nature that we have to crucify, and human nature and human thought we have to renew to the truth of God's Word, because there is a deception that you think, well, what I have is too small to do anything. Imagine Paul. He gets there, and he has a great, open, effectual door, and it's 12 guys in a city that was roughly about a quarter million people. What is 12 men compared to 250,000 pagans, Judaizers, unbelievers, idolaters, and witchcraft workers? He had a great and open, effective door and many adversaries. In this case, the adversary was just a small group of people. But he begins to teach. Verse 8, Paul went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Verse 9, but when some were hardened and did not believe, they spoke evil of the way, also known as Christianity, before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily, in the school of Tyrannius. Verse 10, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Greek. My goodness. Those four, three verses right there have so much taking place. That's, that's the thing about reading your Bible. You always keep this in check in, 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 your, in your thinking. You know, we sit down, we can read a chapter in what, two, three minutes? It depends on the chapter. Five minutes, if it's a long one. And you can sit down and read and really understand what's going on in that chapter. But that chapter may encapsulate years, <laughs> uh, months, weeks, or years of someone's life. Verse 8, 9, and 10 of Acts 19, we read that in about 30 seconds. But it encapsulates three months of persuading in the synagogue and two years in this school of Tyrannius. Paul begins to, as he normally would do, reason and debate and persuade by the teaching of the Word of God in the Jewish synagogues. He did that for three months. But then in verse 9, we see there's people who begin to speak evil of the way which is one of the original titles, uh, names given for Christianity. The Bible tells us they were first called Christians in Antioch. But before that, it would be known as the way. Of course, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So here he is. He's teaching and preaching for three months. Things are going well. And then someone begins to speak evil about him to the point to where he could no longer teach in the synagogues. So he withdraws himself and his disciples to this facility, this place called the School of Tyrannius. We don't know much about it, but it's believed that he was a, it must have been a gentleman who ran a school of philosophy and invited Paul here. 
um, you know, a thinker. And he thinks, oh, wow, a new thought here. Let's have him come and speak. He teaches there in this school of Tyrannius for two whole years, making disciples, doing what Jesus said to do in Matthew 28. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And so as he makes disciples, he sends out those disciples. The disciples then multiply. In verse 10, during those two years, everyone who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. No TikTok, no YouTube, no podcast channel, no TV, no Facebook stream, no printing press, yet by the simple teaching of the Word of God by mouth and by committed disciples who desired to witness and win people to Christ, an entire region of the planet was evangelized. Now, not everyone believed, but everyone heard. And that's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. I can't determine whether someone believes on Jesus, but it is completely up to me in order for them to hear. And that is my responsibility. Now, you might think, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it is. Look, verse 11, God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. How so? Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs of aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So here's Paul, two years, three months, teaching and preaching the word of God, building disciples, evangelizes an entire region on the planet. Then... He prays over these cloths, and these cloths are taken to sick people, and when the cloth touches the sick person, they're healed. Do you understand? It's one thing to do a miracle. It's another to do an unusual miracle. (laughs) But Paul did, by the power of the Holy Ghost, of course. Okay, then verse 13, we see this very humorous story. These sons of Sceva, seven sons of Sceva, these Jewish exorcists, they see Paul doing his thing, casting out devils. Wherever the, there's men and women of God, they're going to cast out devils. They, they think, well, we can do that too. We'll go and cast out devils. And so they try to cast this, these devils out of this guy. And they say, we adjure you. We command you come out by the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And then that devil and that man says, hey, you name two people I know, Paul and Jesus, but you jokers, I don't know who you are. And that demon comes out of that man, jumps on those seven sons of Sceva, strips them naked, beats them up, and then run away screaming and naked. That is one way to leave a party, isn't it? But verse 17 says, this became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Verse 18, And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Verse 19, Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20 of Acts 19, So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You might think, wow, Paul is rocking and rolling. He starts off with 12 people. They get saved. He begins to build the church. He's teaching and preaching in the synagogue for three months. Uh Uh-oh, but then gossip happens and they run him off. Adversary. 
So then he goes to the school of Tyrannius. He's preaching there for two years. Mighty miracles are taking place. Uh-oh, adversary. Imposters come in, sons of Sceva, trying to imp- imperson Paul and try to just make it look as if what he's doing ordained by God and by the Spirit of God empowering him to do it can just be some magic show. But they're made a mockery of, and the name of Jesus is magnified. Then people hear and see this testimony of their failure, and it actually builds up the witness of Jesus and the ministry of Paul. Because even the devils are saying, hey, we know who Paul is and we know who Jesus is. So then the people, then they burn all their witchcraft and idolatrous stuff and the word of God grows mightily. So we see here, open door, adversary. Open door, adversary. If you stopped at verse 20, you think, well, man, Paul's on cloud nine, easy going. No, adversary. When these things were accomplished, verse 21, Paul purposed in his spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So here, there he is. He's in Macedonia. He's in this same region, this area. And what happens? Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines, idols, for the Greek goddess Diana, he raises up the entire union of silversmiths. He tells them, in short, you can read in Acts 19, in short, basically he goes to all the other folks that make these silver idols of this Greek Roman goddess, Diana, and says, look, here's the deal. You and I, we know the great goddess Diana, she's the real deal. Then they get down to business. And you guys know that we make a lot of money selling these statues. But this guy, Paul's preaching this new way. And so many people are believing in what he is saying, the gospel, that they're forsaking their worship of Diana. Now, one, that's bringing disrespect to our God and get down to business. That's hurting our trade. We're not making as much money as we used to. And if he keeps going, we're going to be out of business. So what do all the silversmiths and all the people that he's gathered together, which are thousands upon thousands of people, what do they do? We must worship the great God, Diana. We cannot let this happen. And we don't want to lose money. So then they have this huge riot. And Paul wants to go out and confront them. But his disciples and the Roman officials says, whoa, wait a minute, we can't do this. We got a mob, a riot on our hands. And then finally, Alexander comes out of the multitude and he of these Jews and he begins to talk to them and he looks. He says, great is the Diana of the, of the Ephesians. We all know this. And the city clerk comes out and quiets them and says, look, we know you men of Ephesus that there's no one who would, who would say that, uh, in fact, I'll read it, verse 35. When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian, guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Side note, they had this image, this idol, this stone-carved idol of Diana, this massive 30, 40-foot-tall idol in this shrine. 
the story is that it just fell down from heaven one day. It is a hand-carved idol uh, of this female goddess. Anyway, verse 36. It's just so funny, you know. He, this idol fell down from, from, from Zeus, straight from heaven. Oh, really? Why are there chisel marks on it? Okay, anyway, <laughs> verse 36. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought, not, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you've brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. You're trying to get after Paul, but he's not robbed any temple. He's not blasphemed Diana, but he's preached the gospel and he's, he's turned the world upside down. The book of Acts says that about the, the early church, that they would teach and preach the word of God and it turned their world upside down. Do you know that the gospel will still turn the world upside down? And quite frankly, when I look and see the world, it is wrong side up and it needs to be turned right side up. So let's turn this world upside down. But you can see here plainly. Paul was given a great and effectual door. Yet, in that great effectual door, as he said, by the Holy Spirit, there were also many adversaries. He started off with just a few men. That was tough, but it grew. The church grew. Someone lied on him in the synagogues. That's tough. But then he moved to a new place and then ministered two years, which would be eight times as long as the synagogue ministry. Then these seven sons of Sceva try to make a joke and a sideshow of the name of Jesus, thinking they can just do anything that any other man of God could do, any other woman of God could do. But then they're made fun of by the very devil they're trying to cast out, and the Word of God grows again. The church of God grows again. Then there's a huge mob. But then Paul's defended and Paul's able to continue in his missionary journey. Just because you have an open door doesn't mean there will not be adversaries. Do not be intimidated. Do not fret. Don't be fearful when you have adversaries, when there's pushback. Now, if you're doing something wrong or just plain stupid... That's not an adversary. That's called being, you know, trying to live life a difficult and hard way, you know. That be honest with yourself. But know this, if you are in the will of God, it does not mean there will be no opposition. In fact, it's the opposite. When you are in the will of God, there will be opposition. But here's the powerful truth. If you're in the will of God, He's empower you to overcome all opposition that stands in the way. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, this is Jesus speaking, These things says, He who is holy, He who is true, He who has the key of David, He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts, and no one opens. Verse 8, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, 
I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Verse 11, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that that no one may take your crown. The Spirit of the Lord is speaking. King Jesus, He's speaking to this church in Philadelphia. And He makes this point. He begins to call Himself by several names. He who is holy, He who is true. He who holds the key of David, he who opens doors that no one can shut, and he who shuts doors that no one can open. So you and I serve King Jesus. We serve the one who holds the key of David. We serve the one who opens doors and no one can shut them. And when he shuts a door, no one will open it. See, there are open doors in your life right now, and God has opened them, and no one can shut that door. But it is your responsibility to walk through it. When Jesus opens a door, no one can shut it. But you have to walk through it. That's called faith. And even if there is opposition, if there's people standing along the side, satanic-inspired people, work of the devil, temptations, accusations, lies, deceptions, all along this path for you to walk through this open door, trying to get you to not walk through the open door, at the end of the day, they still have no power to shut it. Because he who holds the key of David, when he unlocks a door and opens it, it's opened. You just have to walk through it. And if there's opposition, if there's adversary, be of good cheer because it's a sign of an open door. Hey, I'm so thankful for you that you're watching and that you're listening to this wake-up call. We've got a brand new series that we're going to be starting here coming up this Thursday on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Or excuse me, I said Thursday. We've moved it. Programming is a Friday now. So Mondays and Fridays. We release episodes on Monday. And on Friday, the last day of the work week, first day of your work week, you get to start it with me. And then you get to finish off the last day of the work week with me, Mondays and Fridays. Uh, So used to Thursdays, but Fridays tend to work out a little bit better uh, just as far as planning. So I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're watching, that you're listening. Join me on all the on the streams and all the platforms and everything. Follow me wherever you can, you know. And we've got some. Uh, we got a website that will be up here probably in the next thirty to forty days. I'm really excited about that. There'll be a lot of features on the website that you can do to interact with the podcast. Uh, my good friend Todd that I know is listening right now. That will have a feature on the website. There will be a feature on the website where you can actually call and leave a message. We can play it here on the podcast, and I can answer questions. And so people can ask questions, and I can answer them. I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun. But I look forward to that. I'll have all the information in the show notes when that takes place. And I'm thankful for you. I pray you have an awesome, awesome rest of your day and a great week. I pray that you will be completely and wholly committed to the things of God because we are the faithful. Hey, walk through that open door and don't turn back. God bless. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. 
And every Thursday, I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.